Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. It's good to see you guys. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 13 this morning. If it's your first time at Fountain City Church, we just want to welcome you. Uh, We're fairly new. We've been around for about a year and a half, just under that. And so um, we started in our home, in Monte Christie's home, in August of 2018. Um, and when we did that, we really had this, this heart's desire for us. We'd been working in the church for a long time. We loved the local church. Um, but we kept seeing people who were coming from the church who were kind of drowning in the church, but not really finding a place where they were growing with Christ and living vulnerably with other people and connecting in community. Uh, and for us, that really, like... It caused something to happen in us where we started to awaken to making space for people who were wrestling with what it meant to live their lives fully connected to Jesus and to other people and to live on mission. To be aware that God hasn't created you to know him simply to sit on the sidelines and wait for heaven one day. That's a pitiful um, version of Christianity, by the way. But he has actually caused his spirit to live inside of you and is causing the invasion of heaven and earth to take shape in your life. That it's not just you trying to figure it out on a Monday, like, how do I stay sinless enough to get to heaven one day? God wants to bring his presence and his power and his spirit into your life today. He wants to shape you and form you and change you. And so I'm already preaching. We're not there yet. And so I, um, for Chrissy and I, that became this, this heart's desire to make sure that we were creating space. And God kind of breathed on some old dreams of ours to plant Fountain City Church. Uh, and that image of Fountain City, not only is it kind of like the icon for our, our city, that we are the Fountain City, which if you've been around, like we have lots of fountains, but they're like all three feet tall and two feet wide, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, but it was this image of God doing something here that goes everywhere else, that he does this central work where he pours out a spirit in a fresh way, and that there is an outpouring of a spirit everywhere as a result. Um, and the image is of you guys. It's of the Lord doing something in your heart and in your mind that shapes the way that you live everywhere you go from here. Uh, and so that's a deep conviction of ours. Um, within that, we really believe in the power of communities where you're learning to live vulnerably with other people. You're growing with Christ. You understand what it is to, to struggle, but to bring other people into that process with you. And so uh, that happens best, we think, in midweek communities when you're around a table with other people who are also walking out faith and learning what it means to follow Jesus in your life. And so I want to encourage you, we have lots of communities that happen through the week. Um, tonight from 5 to 5.30 to 7.30, Dustin, you've got me forever confused with the times. Um, they lead a, a marriage group, Dustin and Janelle Nance, called DNA of Relationships. If you want information about that, connect with them. They'll get you some more details. Uh, also on Tuesday nights, uh, the, the McQuinn family community is meeting at their house. Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, so, Peyton, will you lift your hand so people can see you? So, Tuesday nights, if you're like, man, I have Tuesday nights off, I'd love to connect. They got a great group, Kindle's in there as well. So, make sure you reach out to them. Um, there's also a ladies' community that meets Tuesday nights, a men's community that meets Thursday nights, and another family community with the Taylors that meets Saturday mornings. So, we're trying to get things kind of spaced out to where you can take part in something no matter what your schedule demands of you. Um, and so, can I encourage you? I know that that feels like a big jump. And if you're like from traditional church where you just kind of go to church and then you leave and you never really get rooted with people in the community, we believe that is an incredible method to never be formed in Christ. Like if you don't want to be formed in Jesus, 
don't do midweek communities. Just come to service and then leave and then go do your thing. That's a, that is the perfect method to not be transformed. But if you believe in the transformational power of God, then you root your lives with other people who are walking out faith, and you do that intentionally together. Amen? Amen? Okay, cool. That just means yes, so be it. Let's make it happen. All right, Mark chapter 3. Um, before we get started, um, we always have prayer needs and different things going on, but uh, Sarah, will you come up here? Sarah Smith and her family, this past week, um, Sarah is with baby. Yes, that's announcement number one. That's a celebration. Y'all give it up for baby. Okay. She and her husband, Josh. Um, But this week, they got an ultrasound back that said that there might be some complications um, and that the baby might have what's called uh, abs, sorry, amniotic bands syndrome, which is where the amniotic sac kind of detaches and parts of those fibers can wrap around the baby's appendages and things like that and can, can damage the baby's body um, if there's not something that happens. And so today we want to lift them up in prayer. Uh, if you've ever had children, you know that the entire process is a matter of releasing control and any opportunity for fear and just trusting the Lord. And so when you get reports like this, it escalates that same process. And so we want to pray over their family this morning. Um, can I have some of you ladies... Just love on Sarah and just come pray for her. Would you do that? And I'll pray over her, but uh, actually, I feel like I need a mama to pray. Janelle, you're a mama. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this baby girl. God, we thank you that you are knitting her together, God. Lord, every life is, is a celebration, God. We thank you that you are her creator. You are her designer, Jesus. We thank you that right now you are actively working in her life, Jesus. Before she knows you, before she can say your name, Lord, you are working in her life. God, we just pray for a hand of protection around this baby. God, we just rebuke the plans of the enemy, which we know are to destroy Jesus. We just say, Lord, that we, give, that we just believe, Jesus, that you will protect this child, Jesus. We ask, Lord, and just, God, we just thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that we can see your hand in Sarah's life, Jesus. We thank you that her life points to a good and a trustworthy father, Jesus. We thank you for all of the miracles that you have already done, Jesus. We thank you that Sarah's life is just a testimony to your faithfulness, Jesus. And God, we pray that you will continue to just move mightily in this family, God. Jesus, we pray for a hand of protection, Jesus, over this entire pregnancy. God, we pray for faith over fear, Jesus. God, we thank you that in this season, Lord, that we know that you are working, Lord. God, we pray for a supernatural peace, Jesus, over this mama. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. Sarah, thanks for letting us pray for you. Amen. Y'all keep praying for them, would you? It's a nerve-wracking process. Okay. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Turn with me, if you will. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we actually, we're going to give you an opportunity to give as well. I do this every week, guys. I'm so sorry. 
Uh, the containers are right there, Roman, if you'll grab them for me. Roman's going to pass these given containers. If you're a guest with us, we don't expect that you give today. But if you want information about the church, those same little offering envelopes that are in the backs of the seats or over in those little metal containers on the wall, um, that's just an opportunity for you to get our, our weekly newsletter and just figure out what's going on with the church and what we believe in and how you can get involved. Uh, and so feel free to put your name and email address on that. And if you're a part of the church, thanks for giving. Um, it is the way that we mobilize mission here locally and globally. Uh, and so we're excited about that. Okay, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Um, two weeks ago, we jumped back into the gospel of Mark, and we were talking about the claims of Jesus in this letter. And if you're new to the Bible, you're new to faith, uh, then these might be fresh claims to you that you've never really heard or you've never understood what Christianity is about. For us, we believe that everything is aiming at the person of Jesus, both from the historical past in the Old Testament all the way through to now. Everything is pointing back at the climax of the person of Jesus and who he is in creation. He makes some claims about himself that shapes everything else. Everything. And so the Gospel of Mark is about these claims that Jesus is both uh, the Messiah, which was the Jewish promised king who would come and rule over Israel, but that he is also the Son of God. And so he comes as Son of Man who is able to empathize with you and me and our weaknesses, everything we go through. But he's also the Son of, the son of God. Uh, I think I said that backwards. He's the Son of Man, but he's also the Son of God. Uh, and so today we're going to push forward and Jesus is going to do something a little different. Uh, last time we were talking, we saw this image of Jesus going and he was preaching. And everywhere he went, it says that people were pushing forward. Do you all remember? And they were actually crushing in on him because they wanted a piece of Jesus. His life and his ministry was so attractive to people around him that people couldn't get enough of Jesus to the point that he had to make an escape route, right? He had to actually like figure out how to get in a boat and get away from the shoreline so that people wouldn't press in on him and do him damage, right? I just feel Jesus' introversion coming out, which I love. Uh, and so we also saw how Jesus retreated with his disciples, that he embraced this reality that this purpose that was on his life demanded that he learn how to cease in moments and how to rest in moments. And we talked about what that looks like for us. Are we the kinds of people who know how to cease and how to rest? And we also talked about, like, if you tend to be lazier, like, do you understand that you lead a life of consequence and how you live and the decisions you make, that they are meant to have an extraordinary impact on the world around you? And so for some of you, this is like this, this incredible encouragement to get moving. But in the life of Jesus, we saw him withdrawing intentionally so that he could remain on purpose and so that his disciples could learn what it was like to rest. And I think that this is something that is so central for us. But today, we're going to push into a different crowd of people, right? In, in verses 7 through 12, we see Jesus kind of making some distance between him and people because he understands what he needs in order to maintain this purpose. But in verse 13, we see something altogether different. We see Jesus strategically calling some people to himself, like giving them access that is above and beyond anything maybe we could imagine. They're with him day and night for three years they're with him in hard days and in easy days. They're with him in his teaching. They're with him in his suffering. Uh, and so we see Jesus gaining or getting, granting access to a group of people in a different fashion. Uh, and so this is really important for us because we understand that many people in the church come to Jesus for healing or they come to him for food. Right? I was a, in a college group and I just went to a church because they served dinner. 
every Sunday night. <laughs> and I wasn't even ashamed of it. I felt very fine with it. Right? People did that then too. He's feeding 4,000 people and he's feeding 5,000 people. And so he even says, like, you guys didn't come around except for you wanted bread, you know? And so people are coming around to be healed. People are coming around to meet their own need and agenda. But we have to ask the question of what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. Because at the end of the day, those people went home. And Jesus went somewhere else. They came for what they wanted, and then they left when they got what they needed. And Jesus went somewhere else. But Jesus is inviting a group of people to go with him wherever he goes. And I believe that this is the picture of the global and the local church. And an invitation for us that we're not people who just come to consume, but we're actually following Jesus right at his heels, shoulder to shoulder, by the Holy Spirit to be transformed. And that is a very different picture. Um, you know, one of our, our kind of vision and mission for our church is that we want to multiply families of missionary disciples. So disciple, that you would wrestle with this as a core identity of who you are, that you are being formed and shaped and made into the image of Jesus. And that means by nature proximity and intimacy and closeness. Like you cannot be shaped and changed and formed unless you are with him. And so this morning we want to talk about just that. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and we're going to go to verse 15. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. I love that Jesus nicknames everybody. Did y'all have a friend like that in college who just, everybody who walked by called a nickname based on something stupid they did or whatever? <laughs> I had friends like that. Uh, I might be that friend. Okay. <laughs> James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who they called uh, sons of thunder, which means like these guys are insane. That's what Jesus is saying. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. Bartholomew needed a nickname. Uh, okay. Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. What a crazy group of people. And Jesus calls them. It says that he appoints them to be with him, to go out and preach, and to cast out demons, to drive out spiritual darkness because of the light that was in them. Right? So we want to simply define disciples as people who practice being with Jesus, people who practice becoming like Jesus, and people who are doing what Jesus did. Are you with me? So disciples are people who are with Jesus. They are people who are becoming like Jesus. And they are people who are doing what Jesus is doing. So discipleship for us is much more about who you're becoming than what religious activities you're filling your calendar with. Who you're a disciple to is going to shape and change how you live your life, how you schedule your Monday through Sunday, how you spend your money, who you date and marry, where you live, all of it. And so for all of us, I want us to wrap our minds around what this looks like, right? Uh, he appointed 12 to be with him. He appointed them to become like Jesus in his life and methodology, and he appointed them to do what he did, to preach and to have authority over demons. Now, this is the basis of what we feel like being a disciple is all about. And today, I just want to ask you this question. Are you a disciple? Just think about it. Am I actually a disciple of Jesus? Am I being shaped and formed into his image every single day? 
And am I, um, maybe am I being shaped and formed into his image more than I'm being shaped and formed into somebody else's image? We talk about this quite often, but there's not a person in here who's not a disciple. The question is not just, are you a disciple of Jesus, but who are you a disciple of? Because you may be a disciple of music. You may be a disciple of Hollywood. You may be a disciple, ladies, of Joanna Gaines. It's possible, right? Some of you have a plant lady thing going on. I get it. I get it. It's cool. (laughs) That's the conviction of the Spirit, ladies. You feel it? I'm just kidding. (laughs) We love plants. I'm just joking. (laughs) Some of you are like, we don't know you well enough. That's fine. Um, who, Who are you a disciple of? We're all being formed into someone or something's image. Every single one of us. And my question is, who or what is that that's forming you? It's not something we just, like, assume. Well, I guess it's Jesus. I go to church. That's, that's not a great assumption, right? A lot of times, the easiest way for us to understand who or what is forming us is to ask, who has my attention? Where am I spending my affection and my energy and my attention that is informing who I'm becoming? How I make decisions? Who am I a disciple of? As author Kyle Eidelman phrases it, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower? Those are very different things. And I feel like as we look out into our nation right now, we see lots of fans. There are lots of Jesus fans who they cheer Jesus on from the safety of the stands. It costs really nothing to be a fan. You can recline at ease with no sacrifice to yourself or your preferences. You can just add a little bit of Jesus to your life. But Jesus requires... He commands lordship. He actually declares that he is the son of God, which makes a loud demand on how we live in response to him. Not just that I add a little bit of Jesus, but that he is recalibrating my life to be oriented completely around who he is and his commands and what his culture is all about. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming to earth. He's talking about all of that being being formed in him and now in you because of the Holy Spirit. And it changes the way that we see everything. Eidelman writes this. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Now think about that. How often do we come to the church and to Jesus and leverage what we want him to say into the scriptures even, and put it back on us, rather than allowing him to shape us and form us into his image. For many of us, we, we, we want to shape Jesus into our image. And he just says that's not going to work. He says the biggest threat is people who call themselves Christians but aren't actually following Christ. I think one of the loudest indictments against our culture in the southeast is that we have churches who are filled with people, many of whom do not follow Jesus. That cultural Christianity often is much louder than the real Christianity. Which means that we are willing to take up our crosses to follow him. That we aren't just, this is not just lip service. That I like Jesus a lot. I like his teachings and his principles. He's a good teacher. No, he demands that you die so that he can live through you. Think about that. And so this is the, 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 uh, the exclamation of what it means to follow Jesus. And so this morning, I just want us to look at three markers of a disciple of Jesus and what it looks like for us to follow him, okay? Number one, uh, the first marker is that we are people who learn to be 
with Jesus. So be with Jesus. That's number one. Verse 14 says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Now, if you're like reading through the scriptures and you see the dynamic quality of Jesus' life, everywhere he goes, people are healed and demons are cast out. But the first thing he appoints 12 men to do who are going to change the world is he appoints them just to be with him, just to just to have presence with him, just to enjoy who he is, just to walk side by side with him, to watch his life. You might even think that this is kind of anticlimactic, but Jesus wants us to see that to be a disciple, the first and the most important thing that opens the doors to the other things is that you learn to live your life with him. You're with him. This is central to what it means to be a Christ follower. This is everything for us. It's so central that Jesus actually tells his disciples in John 15 that the overflow of your life and of my life, that all the fruit that God desires to see coming from us comes from our abiding in him. Everything he wants you to do, we we talked about this months ago, but in Christ, God has created an eternal purpose for you. And he already has this purpose prepared for you. And he wants you to accomplish this thing. But you can't do it apart from being with Jesus. Are you with me? We can spend all of our time and energy and focus trying to get God's attention instead of realizing. uh, That was very confusing. We can spend all of our time and energy uh, in, in talking about him and trying to seize this purpose that we can't ever really get to apart from simply being with him. Jesus is the pathway to you fulfilling purpose. Jesus is the the only path. He's the way and the truth and the life. And that is a bold claim. And it is one of the only claims that I think we just need to set our eyes on and realize that Jesus is telling you, your life's purpose cannot be fulfilled apart from him. And you can do a whole lot of living and not accomplish much of anything apart from him. And I'm not talking about just what people see. I'm not talking about you living like some large life where you're making a ton of money and you've, you know, you're a social influencer and all that. I, I don't think Jesus cares about that, honestly. I don't. What I do think he cares about is knowing that you have been obedient and you're bearing fruit in your life based on your connection with him, right? John 15, 4 says it like this. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just like a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to that. We're out taking pictures this morning before church of our serve team leaders. There was a branch hanging in the tree, and it had been cut months back. And guess what? It was not covered in leaves. It was dead as a door now. I could break the branches off very easily. Why? Because it was disconnected. Jesus says, abide in me. Just like a, a branch can't bear fruit apart from this thing that it's attached to, you cannot bear fruit unless you are attached to me. That word abide in the Greek is the word meno, and it means to remain or to stay or to to journey or tarry someplace. Jesus says, I want you to learn how to remain in me, to stay with me. When you're far away, I want you to learn how to make a journey toward me and to learn to live toward me in everything that you do. I want you to abide. You know, it's really tempting in everyday life for us, and even in church work with what I do, to talk about Jesus a lot, but never to really focus on being with him. 
I can talk to other people about Jesus, but then that time comes when I know it's just me and him. And for some of us, man, we really struggle to enter into that place where we're just spending time with him. And I just want you to hear me say this. It is the most important thing that you will learn is how to be with Jesus. I actually think maybe it's the most important thing. There is nothing quite like learning how to be a son or a daughter of God who actually spends time in his presence. I can have all the right answers, and I can still have a craggy, crusty old spirit because I'm not with him. Are you with me? This is not about you having all the right biblical answers. It's not. The Pharisees had a lot of right biblical answers, but their hearts were far from God. Jesus is calling us to be a people who knows what it's like to really live life in his presence and to exist in this place where, man, his spirit can use us freely and he can bear fruit through us because we're connected to him. I've been with Jesus. I can, I can hear his heartbeat. I know his thoughts and attitudes. I know his feelings about a subject. I can lean in in that way because I'm, I'm with him on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. When nobody's looking and there's no accolades attached to it, it's just you actually living connected to the vine. Are you with me? And the life surges into you. And the consistency and stability of the Spirit surges into you. And the voice of God clothes your life. It's a big deal. Um, as a church, I want you to know that our desire is to be a people that know Jesus intimately, that pursue God's presence, that learn to be with Jesus. In, in these gatherings, you know, if you're new here, one of the things that we try to do is just say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do today, we'd like to do that. And so if that means that there is a period where we just stop and listen together or there's a prophetic word or a word of knowledge um, or during worship we feel like we just need to sit quiet, we just try to do that because we believe more than anything that this is about his presence. But how about outside of here? How about in our midweek communities? You know, we were, I was with David and some of the guys this past week at the men's community. Uh, and sometimes there is an awkwardness even for those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time to move from just silly, stupid conversation into, like, intentional, spiritual connection. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, there's this line where you have to actually be intentional to say, hey, we want to grow together. We want to create a space where we can be in God's presence together. So that's valuable. But then also individually. We want to spend time with Jesus every day to orient our hearts and our minds around what it means to belong to him. And uh, I think we can all probably confess this freely that we love the idea of being with Jesus, but a lot of times when it comes to that place of just stopping and being, that we face all kinds of stuff. Anxieties about whether or not this matters. Like, is, Am I just wasting 30 minutes of my day here? Does God actually care? And for some of us, we have this anxiety that God's not going to show up, that he doesn't like you as much as he likes somebody else. You know, like God's too busy for me this morning. He's got other things. Some of us think like that. We come before God's presence, and a lot of times um, we struggle to just slow down and to be with Jesus. Look, I, I love those times when I can disengage and, like, slow down and just spend time with the Lord. But I've got to admit, there are days when I wake up and I have to force myself into that space because I have so many other things that are on the, the list. And so what I want to encourage you into this morning is that if you're a slave to tasks and to-do lists, 
Um, or if you're just anxious and nervous about getting in God's presence because you're not sure what's going to happen, the invitation is to let everything flow out of this time of being with Jesus, to learn how to spend time with him in the word every morning. If you don't understand it, we'll help you. Like We'll help you walk through and figure out what the scriptures look like. But in prayer, in worship, in silence, just to start your day every day learning to be with Jesus. In Acts 4, 13, I love this passage. Peter and John are fearlessly declaring Jesus as the Messiah to the Sanhedrin, which is the group of people who think that this is, you know, completely untrue. And so they are like bold as lions in this moment. And it says the leaders realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these guys had been with Jesus. The impact of their lives in this moment as they are declaring the goodness of God is we know that these guys don't have the education or the pedigree to where we would listen to them. But because of the authority of God on their life, what we know is they've been with Jesus. You know what happens when you start to spend adequate time with Jesus alone in the silence before day breaks or before your kids are smacking you in the face or whatever, before you have to go to work? You are stepping into the authority and you're stepping into the the power of Jesus. And you live your life differently. I don't know if you've been around a person like that who they just, they exist in a different place of God's anointing and his presence because they've been with him. It's not because they're exceptional all by themselves, right? We, We don't believe that. You guys recognize, we don't believe that, that certain people are born and they just naturally have more of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. Do you believe that? Come into the conversation with me. (laughs) No, but we think like that. I don't think we believe that, but we kind of think like that. We think this person operates in a different level of charisma than me, or they've got more giftings or whatever. Guys, they were with Jesus. The defining factor on their life and their, their capacity to impact culture around them was that they spent time with Jesus. And if you are a taskmaster like me, if you tend toward lists or feeling like just slightly anxious about all the stuff you've got to do, I want to encourage you, get with Jesus first and foremost. Make him the priority and everything else will flow out of that. I promise you, you're not going to get to the end of the day when you lay your head on the pillow and you're going to step into eternity and think, I wish I had done more, pay, more, more, more work on that. You're going to think, man, I wish I had known Jesus better. I wish I had walked with him in a deeper fashion. I wish that I knew more about him. Right? They learned what it was to be with Jesus. And so I would actually want to ask you a question, particularly if you're taking notes this morning. I want to ask you to do a little self-evaluation. And just ask yourself, how much time am I spending with Jesus? Now, our generation is almost, like, offended whenever we talk about measuring spiritual activity. Um, Can I just encourage you? That's stupid. (laughs) Hopefully that's an encouragement. It's, it's dumb for us to stop measuring how we are investing in our relationship with the Lord because we don't do that anywhere else. We don't think it's dumb to like look at your bank account and see how much money am I spending? Am I coming up bankrupt? Is this a problem? Those of you who are married know like if you don't check in with your spouse every once in a while and just see like, hey, how are we doing? There's a real problem. You got to do it. It takes actually intentional activity. Some of you, if you're not married yet, I want to encourage you to understand that it's not always automatic. Any married people in the room say amen? Like you actually have to invest. I, I know that Chrissy works very differently than me. My wife Chrissy is the best. She works completely differently than me, though. 
For me to love her well, I have to say, hey, do you want to go get coffee by yourself and I'll just watch the girls? And she's like, yes, I love you. You know, that's the season of life we're in. And same thing for me. Like, I have certain ways that Chrissy can love me differently. Guys, I want, I want you to ask yourself, how much time am I spending with Jesus? Really? Am I investing in a relationship with Jesus every day? Or really, is it just kind of every week? Come once a week and expect God to fill me up in the church space? Church spaces get a little strange when everybody comes to be filled up once a week. But if everybody's eating every day, and you come in together, and you are full of the Spirit, and you're walking with the Lord, it changes the environment. It changes how we do this, right? So how much time are we spending with Jesus? And uh, that leads us to point number two. So if you're taking notes, firstly, we were being with Jesus, but secondly, we're becoming like Jesus. Now, this is important. Jesus isn't hosting these guys around Judea to prove how awesome he is. He's not. He's actually empowering a group of people to live in this spirit kind of way, to live connected to the Father in a way that transforms and changes their life. In fact, we see him over and over imparting his anointing and authority onto his disciples. Now, if you're trying to draw all the attention to yourself, like if, if Jesus' goal, Gabby, was to walk around and to make sure that people saw how awesome he was, then he would never have given away the things that made him him to other people. Are you with me? Have you ever been around somebody else and like you guys had a similar gifting and you felt almost like you were in a competition or something with this person because they had the same thing as you on their life? Am I talking English this morning? Is Yes, thank you, Avi. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think we, we go through seasons where it's like, man, we actually want to stand out from the crowd. We want to be different. And Jesus is known all throughout the scripture. They keep saying his teaching comes with authority. Like everywhere he goes and everything he does, it has authority on it. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't hoard authority and say, look to me forever. He actually just, he gives authority to his disciples. The very thing that he is known for, he imparts to the people around him so that the kingdom of God can spread, right? And Jesus believes so firmly in this style and philosophy of ministry, not I am the point, but I am going to impart everything that empowers you guys to do the work. He believes so much in this that he actually says, it's better for you that I leave. When Jesus is going to be with the Father, he, he tells them, it is better that I don't stay here. And you can imagine that his disciples are there with him thinking, are you crazy? You are the Son of God and the Son of Man. Of course you need to be here. And Jesus, over and again, he sells us on this philosophy that this is not just about one person doing the work and having the gifting, but about the authority and the power of Jesus being spread out to all his people. We're becoming like him, right? Matthew 10, 5 says it like this. Uh, and this is the story that goes along with Mark 3, uh, but it's in the, the Gospel of Matthew. So it's in Matthew 10. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Listen to what he tells them to do. He says, don't go among Gentiles or any other town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So what Jesus entrusts to the people around him is the same authority and power that marked his life in ministry. Now this may shock some of you this morning, but this wasn't an invitation. There are, there are movements within the church, there are groups of people who believe that this was a selective gift 
given only to 12 people and that that has since ceased, that God doesn't do this stuff anymore, that he just did that to proclaim who the apostles were and the kingdom early on. We decline that notion. That is not what we believe that the scriptures are telling us. What we believe is that God is showing us. He's giving us an invitation of what it means to follow him. And uh, what, what I want you to understand this morning is that God delights to give you more of the kingdom than you know what to do with. He delights to entrust some things to you that you don't have the capacity in your own understanding to facilitate. Like, why would he give us prophetic words and words of knowledge? That's a big deal. Why would he tell us things about people so that we could tell them to the people? Have you ever thought about that? Why not just tell them, God? Why don't you just come directly to me? Why use Abby to tell me something about me instead of just you telling me? Because God is entrusting his kingdom. He, he actually empowers other people to bring about purposes that he could do in and of himself because he is entrusting creation to you. Ooh. I was just trying to stay sinless. And all the while, he's trying to teach you what it's like to be a person who is full of the kingdom of God and the spirit. So how do we navigate this? Jesus wants us to become like him. He, he tells the disciples to do some things that they are incapable of apart from the Spirit of God. But with the Spirit of God, they walk in it seamlessly. You see that? I, I wonder which one was like, ooh, cleanse the leper. Are you sure? <laughs> Raise the dead? God, they're dead. Like, what, what are you asking me to do? I can't do that. You know, I'm always picturing Thomas in the back, like, I don't, I don't think I got this, you know, like, too much doubt, not enough faith, Jesus. He imparts the very things that he was doing. He says, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, none of which I can do apart from the Spirit. None of which are even my idea apart from the Spirit. I'm just thinking about lunch, you know. And, like, how do I make sure we have enough money at the end of the month? And Jesus' idea is that that's not the point at all. The point is that you learn God's mission is invading the kingdom of darkness, and he's destroying the work of the devil. And he actually wants to empower you to take part in that. Right? So he wants us to become like him. This was true of his disciples 2,000 years ago, and it's true of us. Uh, this word disciple is a funny Jewish word. It's, it's not an English word. Like, nobody ever asks you, like, what church do you go to? And you're like, well, really, I'm just a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody ever answers like that, right? Because disciple is a very Jewish term. Uh, a disciple came from this relationship in Judaism to a teacher or a rabbi. And it was this person who took the law of Moses, God's revelation to the Israelites, and they actually taught people how to follow it and how to interpret the law. And so to be a disciple meant that you were in this devoted relationship to this particular teacher not just to listen to what they said, but to take it on as a way of life. So what this rabbi says becomes my way of life. And so for us, when we hear that to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to wrestle with the fact that this is not just about you and I listening to things about Jesus, but it is about, it is about adopting his way of life as our way of life. That's why the scriptures are so important, because there are lots of things in Jesus' way of life that you would never come to on your own apart from reading them, right? You would never think about loving your enemies if you didn't read that, right? You read that and you think, wait, hold on a second. 
I just thought you wanted me to like take on a moral, principled way of life. No. <laughs> he wants you to love your enemies. He says even pagans love people who love them. He says, I want you to love people who hate you. And I want you to bless them with your mouth. And I'm not talking about southern bless. I bless them out, you know. How have we done that to that word in the south? No, he, he wants you to actually verbally, do you guys know what that means? <laughs> we use the word bless sometimes as curse which is ridiculous in the South. That's what we do. Okay. Um, Jesus says, I actually want you to verbally bless them, speak blessing over their life, pray for them, pray God's presence into them, right? Um, and so he's, act- he's asking us to adopt his way of life. Simply put, are you becoming more like Jesus? Think about it. Close your eyes for a second. Am I becoming more like Jesus? As I was working on this, I started to think through parts of my life where, if I'm being honest with you, I felt like I was regressing in Jesus. There were areas of discipline that I felt like I was moving backwards in. How I spent my time, how I took care of my body, it's temple, that's actually a part of serving Jesus too, which is that part I'm frustrated with. Um, thought life what you do with anxiety and stress, right? I was looking over my own life and recognizing that my ability to stop and spend lots of time with Jesus and prayer and reflection, that was moving backwards the past couple months. It had not moved forward. I don't think that that's what he has for me. I don't think it's what he has for you. In the, in the old school, we used to just talk about backsliding all the time, you know? And as a kid, that was terrifying because... The path of following Jesus, I felt like it had like slopes, you know, and like uh, I was going to slide back in any moment and then Jesus was going to be angry at me and then it was over. But the image for us here is are we growing forward with Jesus? Does he have more access and more um, authority in places of my life than I do? And so I I want you to ask yourself that. Am I becoming more like Jesus? I remember those seasons of life where I had more zeal for the Lord. I remember being more outwardly gracious and lighthearted. You remember that when like Jesus first saved you and you didn't have kids and you had more time and you weren't exhausted or like, you know, you were sleeping regularly. You had money in your bank account. It was fantastic. Whew. Some of you single people are like, we are never having children ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the signs for us that we're moving toward vain religion is that our insides grow stale and hard and cold and that we grow less compassionate externally. We're more impatient. You know one of the first things that increases in me when I spend time with, the, with Jesus, when I learn to be with him? It's patience. It's crazy. In fact, if you catch me impatient, you can pretty much guarantee that I have not spent a lot of time with the Lord that day. I'm a better dad. I try to tell Lily whenever I mess up, like, hey, daddy didn't spend a whole lot of time with Jesus today. This is on me, you know. So she knows the difference because Jesus is really good. He actually changes the way that I make decisions. He changes my responses. I'm tender. And when I'm not, I'm edgy. Some of you who are edgy, you need to spend more time with Jesus. Right? <laughs> the issue is not that you're just a terrible person. It's just that it's the real you's coming out. <laughs> you know? And, and Jesus wants to shape us and transform us. Um, you know, one of the great litmus tests for this too is am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit? 
really easy. I remember we were having a marriage group years back. Casey and Peyton were in there with us. And we were talking through the love statements. Love is patient. Love is kind. And I remember Casey saying very clearly, I can't even get past patient, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if love ain't patient, it's not kind and it's not. <laughs> I was like, it's so true, man. Is <laughs> the work of the spirit, is it doing something in me? And oftentimes it shows up the quickest in patience. When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, that's the personality of Jesus. You can tell when people have been with Jesus because they are full of this fruit. They're full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And goodness, they're just naturally good. They are not naturally, they're supernaturally good. And they're faithful and they're gentle and they're controlled. Right? We can see it. This is a litmus test for all of us to really ask, are we growing in Christ? How do we do this? How do we become more like Jesus? We abide in him. We practice quick obedience to his word and to his way of life and his spirit's leading. For some of you this morning, God has been speaking things to you, and you've put them out here like, well, Jesus, I'm just going to wrestle with this more. I think he wants you to respond. Yes, whatever you want, I'll do it. I'll be quickly obedient. I'm not just going to like wrestle with it for months, right? My parents, I don't know if you guys said this or if I just say this, um, slow obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. That's a nice parent statement. It's like a one-on-one. We get that in the book when we get a baby, you know? Slow obedience is disobedience. So how do we maintain lives that, um, that are quickly obedient to what God is saying in his word and in his way of life and in his spirit's leadings? Now, here's the pressure that I just want to lift off of you. You're not going to get this all right. You're just not. The, the goal is not for you to be perfect. If you're a perfectionist, this is going to be harder for you than most things because you're going to have to lay that thing down in order to be faithful to the way of Jesus. You're not going to get it perfect. But it is an invitation to practice doing exactly what Jesus says. So when that enemy does come at you and you feel furious and angry and he's calling you to love, you know what the invitation is. It's not, well, I'm just going to create this whole theory around how God's okay with me being angry because they wronged me. No. He wants you to forgive them and love them. He actually wants you to bless them. So how do I feel all this stuff and still be faithful to do what he's asked me to do? Are you with me? And so how do we create this quick uh, responsiveness and obedience to the Lord? Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Listen to Luke 9, 23. He says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. <laughs> These are very inconvenient words. <laughs> take up your cross yearly. No. You must deny yourself. You must... Uh, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. So where Jesus is going and where he tells you to go, you go. And you don't do it without a cross that you can climb up on and crucify your flesh. How often? Daily. Your vocation, your relationships, the way that you do life is the picture of you taking this cross and plunking it firmly down into the ground in that place, climbing up on it and letting Jesus teach you how to lay down your life to follow him always in obedience to God, always in surrender to yourself, always in love for others. Take up your cross, follow me. Okay, so we're with Jesus. We're becoming like him. Finally, we do what Jesus did. As Jesus transforms us into his image and he empowers us with his spirit, 
we have to also be faithful to do what he did. Mark 3, 14 through 15 simply says that the disciples were sent to preach and to drive out demons. Like it's just very matter of fact. And this is kind of Mark's style all through the letter. I want you to just go out and preach the kingdom and drive out demons. What if that was the invitation? Like, Welcome to church. Today when you leave, we want you to go out and to preach and drive out demons. See you next Sunday. <laughs> like there is this emphasis and this clarity, and it's just very concise. This is what your life is all about. We are first and foremost, though, proclaimers of Jesus. He does call us, if we are people who are with him and who are becoming like him, you know what will happen organically? You'll start talking about him. You know what doesn't happen when you're not with Jesus and when you're not being transformed into his image? You're not going to share him because there's no victory in your life from the places where he's showing up. You're just still struggling to figure out this is actually real. He says, no, 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 come on, I want you to share me. He, he sends his people out to tell others about him. And like Jesus, our message has to be repent and believe in Jesus because God's kingdom has come near. One of the things I want to invite you into is a confidence in what God has done in you, that he has called you out of darkness and set you in the kingdom of the son that he loves. That You can have confidence in the salvation that God is giving to you. And when you have that, you will say, man, the kingdom of God is close. He is merciful and gracious and kind. He is not threatening. He is not violent against me. But he is causing me to become a son and a daughter. He loves me through the work of his son, Jesus. He does something different in us. He says he sent them out to preach. And man, we want to be people who are passionate about sharing faith. And I just want to ask you, like today is a day full of questions. When was the last time you shared faith with somebody? Legitimately, like when was the last time you talked to somebody who didn't know Jesus about Jesus? Scary. We have to ask those questions. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before my father, if you deny me or before, before people, uh, then I'll be ashamed of, ashamed of you before my father. In other words, like this is important to Jesus that you talk about him, that you actually tell the wonders of what he's doing in your life. It's huge. So my desire for us is that every person in our church would grow in practice and in precision and passion in sharing the gospel with strangers and neighbors. And I know for some of you in here, that is terrifying for you to bring up Jesus with somebody. But can I ask you a question? I mean, if, if you experience like the best thing in the world, what do you do? You tell people. My wife is like my best example of this. If she tastes something that she loves, she's going to learn how to cook it and feed it to everybody for the next two months. Every time. If there's like a, a hair product, which is like she loves it, makeup and hair products and stuff like that, she's going to tell every girl about it. For guys, think about it. Same thing, man. We become champions of the things that we love. We become champions and advocates for the stuff that we know changes life. Some of you who are into essential oils, you won't shut up about them. You know, like you are so into essential oils, right? You need like a gang sign or something, Essential oils for life. You guys are all about it. When was the last time you did that about Jesus? And not just the oil gang, but whoever. All of us. When was the last time that you were like, I can't, man, I cannot go without telling this person about the Lord? Think about it. May our hearts break at, at, at the hardness, the coldness of our own hearts. It shrinks back into solitude and isolation and forgets that this is about leading others to Jesus. And God strategically puts you in places where that happens, right? It's funny figuring out, like, where, where we're 
where we're at or the decisions we're going to make. Like, Michael, you guys, just in the new station you have in Benning, um, Roman on the campus, and Chi Alpha, Christy up in Marietta, figuring out nursing in a new place. We start asking, like, God, is it possible that I have failed miserably in figuring out where I'm supposed to be? I need to be somewhere else. And in the midst of this, geography never plays a part. Not really, in, in your faithfulness and obedience to just share Jesus. Can I call you guys back to that? To stir your passion and your intensity for sharing the Lord with people who are around us? Really, hear me. I realize I can kind of like go teachy preachy and everybody gets real quiet and it gets kind of like heavy. Please listen to me. If all this obliterates tomorrow, church goes away tomorrow, but you are a person who is filled by the Spirit of God and has a zeal to share Jesus with others who don't know him, we've accomplished everything. What does it look like for you to stir that affection? And is there something standing in the way of you being zealous for the Lord in that way? Is there sin? Is there, is there a place in your heart that you need to repent of and release and move forward because God wants to stir a zeal for his son? Okay. I don't know where I'm at on this anymore. So I give up. Um, Jesus is calling us to do the very things that he did. Right? There's this beautiful passage that says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What if, as you're wrestling with your calling, or your identity, or where you're going, or what you're doing, what if you just kind of made this your own? Because I do believe it's yours. That your calling is to destroy the works of the devil. Smith Wigglesworth, my dad was talking about him a couple weeks back. He had this revelation about destroying the works of the devil uh, and how that pertained to sickness. And he became a, a, a healing evangelist because he saw sickness as the attack of the devil. And so he attacked sickness in people because he, he just knew he was here to destroy the works of the devil. For some of you, the Lord has highlighted an issue or a thing in your heart that you know is an injustice. The enemy has inflicted um, sin and brokenness in the world. What does it look like for you to partner up with the Holy Spirit to be a destroyer of the works of the devil? Everywhere you go. Some of you have suffered at the hands of addiction. You know what it's like to be addicted. What does it look like for you to destroy the works of the devil in the addicted community? Some of you come out of all kinds of stuff. Every single one of us has. What does it look like for you to partner up and to destroy the works of the devil in that place in our culture? This is the mark that is on Jesus. That's why the sick are healed. That's why the blind see. That's why demons are cast out. And that's why he asks us to do the same thing. Right? Not less, the same and more. Get to work. Get busy. My anointing, my spirit, my power, my authority is being invested in your life so that the world around you is shaped and changed because of the spirit who's at work in you. Now here's what I know. We cannot do what Jesus did if we are not becoming like him. You can't. And you can't become like him if you're not learning to be with him. These are like a daisy chain. Everything is a chain of reactions. I, I was thinking of when I was praying over this service, I kept thinking of that story of the seven sons of Sceva. And if you're familiar with that story, the Holy Spirit has been poured out and people are being delivered of demons and healed and set free and filled with the Spirit of God all through the book of Acts. And there's this group of seven guys who they think, man, because of this, we can go out and we can pray for anybody and just anything will happen. They were trying to do what Jesus did without being with him and becoming like him. 
And it says that when they went out, they approached this demon-possessed man. And the demon rose up from within the man and said, Jesus we know, Paul the apostle we know, but who are you guys? And then whooped these guys who were trying to pray for the demon to come out. <laughs> you you want to change the game? <laughs> Hang out with some people who are trying to cast out demons and have no knowledge of Jesus. You see them get whooped on, it, it affects your theology, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a position like that. My, uh, we, we were sharing a story on Wednesday night during the Bible study. of uh, My dad was sharing a story of going in to pray for someone who was demon-possessed. And he walked in, he said to this room, and this lady was tearing the house apart. And she turned and said, what do you want? And he said, nothing. And he turned around and walked out <laughs> and closed the door. He said he, was, he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt he did not have what it took that day. And it wasn't just because... Um, He didn't have faith in God. It was because he knew he had not been with Jesus in a way that was going to give him the authority to walk this thing out. We are not talking about metaphorical demons. When you walk out today, we're talking about actual people who are actually possessed, stricken by demons. Real demons, right? The command and the authority of Jesus on your life is that demonic presences yield to the name of Jesus when you are with him and you're becoming like him. When you are with Jesus and you're becoming like him, you step into places and you see where people are oppressed. And you see brokenness of spirit and emotional brokenness and physical sickness. And the spirit of God demands impact. And one of the great signs for us that maybe we have moved into a spiritual lethargy, that we have gone to sleep at the will, is that we can be around demonized and broken and messed up people and it doesn't affect us at all. I just order my meat on a stick, go sit down and eat, and I don't even think about it. I'm afraid that for most of us, we may live there. Either we don't know what it is that God has made available in Christ, or we don't recognize that our lack of being with him and our lack of becoming like him has negatively impacted our capacity to do what Jesus did. I want to encourage you today that Jesus is not, it's not browbeating. He's inviting you. He's inviting you. He's inviting you into a lifestyle of consequence. You step in and you live life with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. You allow his thoughts and feelings and attitudes and desires to become yours. And then you start to activate what it is that he's been up to all along. He gives this promise that you have the mind of Christ. It's the thoughts and the feelings and attitudes and desires of Jesus. You have that by the Holy Spirit. And when you surrender your life to that way, he's going to use you for far more than you ever imagined. But it all starts with learning how to be with him. Can I encourage you? Maybe very simply for you, this means tomorrow morning at 6 or 7 o'clock, you get up with a cup of coffee and you open the Bible to the book of Mark because that's what we're going through. And you just slowly read a chapter at a time or a passage at a time. And ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me? Lord, what can I see about who you are and who you're calling me to be? And how, how can I step into that today? And you just listen. Spend time listening to the Lord and asking him to show up. Amen?